You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, and today's episode is all about 2022. What are the key trends in retail, design, tech, travel, and more that brands need to know about for next year? We'll be hearing from Amanda Ho, CEO of conscious travel platform Regenerative Travel, about trends in tourism. We'll also hear from Sam Field, Director of Creative Technology at Yahoo Creative Studios, about the latest innovations in virtual world building. And of course, we'll also hear from stylus experts on what they think will be the crucial commercial imperatives for the year ahead. But first, we start as always with the innovation of the week. And this week, it's a brand campaign from ASICS that taps into one of the trends we'll be talking about later, equitable brand engagement. Here's Rebecca Hobbs, Stylus's retail and brand comms editor. So ASICS is essentially championing and measuring a town's mental wellness, specifically Retford in Nottinghamshire, which is in the UK Midlands. ASICS actually surveyed consumers from every English county to track which county would most benefit from that mental boost and is measuring that difference via its Mind Uplifter tool, which it developed in conjunction with Australian bioinformatics specialist Emotive. It works by consumers scanning their faces, answering questions on their mood before and after exercise, which in this case is a town-wide circuit which kind of turned Retford into a mood-boosting obstacle course. And the Mind Uplift tool then measures the difference. It's all about strengthening ASIC's connection to mental as well as physical health. ASIC actually stands for Anima Sana Incorpore Sano, which is sound mind, sound body. Now, that's interesting on an individual level, but when you expand out and measure a town or region, you can begin to see the difference exercise makes to collective mental health. Clearly, this ties into the surge in localism we've seen during the pandemic, but the tracking element also ties into a desire for greater control, since we all lost a level of control during COVID. ASICS is now setting its sights bigger than Retford. It's hosting 5k and 10k runs in Milan's Parco Sempione, and it'll be tracking participants' well-being with that Mind Uplifter tool. So as I mentioned, that's a great example of a brand tapping into one of our key trends for retail in 2022, equitable brand engagement. Here's our Director of Brand Engagement, Katie Barron, to explain more. Equitable brand engagement is really about brands stepping into this space where they can create a more level playing field for consumers. I think because what we've seen with the pandemic, we've seen this great kind of destabilization and it's really spotlit an enormous amount of of disparity really social disparity we've seen obviously what's happening with the climate crisis so there's this opportunity for brands to really step in in some ways become almost kind of public policy makers to become brand enablers you know we've talked about the idea of brands being enablers for people for a long time but of course the pandemic really sharpened the focus on that in such a major way that really I think a lot of brands are going to kind of live or die by having purpose. It's a very real purpose. Brand purpose is is a bit of an abused phrase, I think. So for me, equitable brand engagement is very much about creating a place that's better, fairer, in terms of, you know, it's not just about kind of sustainability and positive impact purchasing, which is what we talked a lot about last year. 
It's about forging these future scenarios that are more equitable in terms of people having better access to health or disability being recognised. So it's about kind of brand advocacy in a way that's very real and very tangible. IKEA, who I mentioned because they're this, you know, huge mega brand, global brand, has just started selling renewable energy at a surcharge-free subscription price to households in Sweden. What it's actually doing is it's working with other energy providers. There's a couple called Sphere Solar and Nordpool, which is a European power exchange. So people are over the wind of the solar parks. And it's doing that so it can sell on this power to consumer without them having to pay extra or without having to kind of search for who will give them the best deal. So it's about kind of just, just committing to give people something very fair. Um, and of course, that was always the ethos with um, IKEA anyway. You know, it was all about affordable design. It was always about making great design accessible to everybody. And now they're moving into a space where they're doing that as a service provider. And I think it's a really interesting example because that idea of being a service provider, you know, we know as we move on into, into 2022 and beyond, it can't just be about brands selling things to people. So stepping into that role where they service people in other ways is going to have to become more important for everybody. What opportunities and challenges does the travel and hospitality industry face in 2022? I spoke about this with Amanda Ho, CEO of conscious travel platform, Regenerative Travel. It's been a hard couple of years, I think, for our industry, but I think we're finally coming out on the other side. And I think people are excited to, I think, really engage around this concept of sustainability and regeneration. Everything that we do is really to support a prisoner of paradise, independent hotel that doesn't have the backing of a you know, big corporate company that really is trying to do, you know, the work in terms of, you know, creating true, meaningful environmental, social impact. So everything we do now is really to put these properties to the front and center to make it easier for consumers to make those travel decisions to stay at these hotels. Our hotels are definitely destinations within themselves. It's very much about, you know, coming on site and really immersing yourself into that local ecosystem. So what does that entail? Perhaps you could give me an example of, of an experience where guests will get immersed in the, the local community. I think one of my favorite examples is actually uh, Fogo Island Inn, which is one of our founding members. They are uh, a Newfoundland in Labrador up the coast, a uh, very far north. It's very, it's very much a journey to get there. I think it's like two to three flights plus the ferry plus the plus the drive so it's very very remote but the whole story of Fogo and Allen and is you know Zita Cobb who's the visionary and hotelier behind the project she's from Fogo Island and the cod fishing industry there was decimated you know years ago when commercial fishing came in and they just basically fished all the cod out so this community called you know this, this island Fogo Island was was dying and people were leaving the island you know people were not staying there and she ended up building this inn, which really completely reinvigorated the community. The best way to really experience the community of Hope Island is they've actually engaged local community hosts. So every guest is assigned a local community host and you're taken in by the family, by the fishermen, by, you know, by whoever you're assigned to, and you get to see what life is there on the island. And so I went to see a local fisherman's home. They brought me into their house and cooked us, you know, gave us pie and jam. And we just got hang out with them for an afternoon. It's a very simple concept, but really is, you know, the most local way of engaging with the community. And how has the pandemic impacted this mission? Because obviously, you know, things changed for, for the travel industry quite drastically. How, how did you adapt? I think everyone has really realized that we're at a turning point. You know, there's, there's really no going back from here in the travel industry, I think has 
been able to take a pause and really take this time to rethink about how new models can be constructed. And I think for us, that really first and foremost goes to understand that in order to have regeneration, you have to have sustainability and regeneration is just going a step beyond. So I think we're really, you know, challenging the industry to think about how the industry can create these new models, but also instill these practices from the very beginning. So we really firmly believe from all of our work that all this change really drives from the top. It's from the owners, the hotels, it's from the government. It's from people that are leading the destination decisions that are happening on the ground because everything will trickle down from there. So we're definitely seeing that more tourism boards are looking to adopt more regenerative tourism strategies, such as New, New Zealand. Hawaii has been an interesting example to see. They've really been a champion for redundant tourism by adopting this approach called Malama, where they are engaging visitors to give back, you know, either through volunteering or through different activities to actually get benefits like discounts or free rooms. So we're trying to gamify it a bit, but we definitely see that that has to be necessary. Um, Also, Iceland has a really amazing visitor pledge where visitors have to pledge, you know, their commitment to being a responsible traveler when they go to Iceland because they've been suffering from over-tourism. So we're definitely seeing this shift happening, but we believe that it really has to come from the travel industry and not the consumer because consumers shouldn't have to be forced to sift through all of, you know, the noise and greenwashing. I think we really believe that the change has to come from the industry. And do you think that that's, say, the case with industries beyond travel? I definitely think that, you know, we're seeing that trend towards more conscious and awareness and especially being hyper local. I mean, I'm, I've, I've just come back to New York after two years of being away in Hong Kong. And I feel like New York is even more progressive than ever. I think, you know, we've been through social movements like Black Lives Matter, the election. I think people are very much more hyper aware of where their money is going, what brands are supporting, where they're eating and you know, just really being a champion for, for social justice. And we're trying to hopefully make that shift within the travel industry too. Now, Davy Pinati, Stylus's senior editor of product design, tells me about one of her key trends for 2022, well time at home. Well, for the past 18 months, the home has become a workplace for many. And because of that transformation, people are finding it harder to switch off at home. In fact, one in five Americans now say they find it harder to carve out personal space to relax at home, according to research from Xiaomi. So as a result, we'll see playfulness succeed wellness as a major priority for interior design in 2022. So what sort of design solutions will that inspire, do you think? We saw a lot of this shift to playfulness at this year's international design event, particularly furniture that encourages human connection and a sense of fun. And the best examples were also multifunctional. For example, a room divider that transforms into a ping pong table from Qatari designer Aisha Al Sawaidi, and an armchair that can be flipped upside down to turn into a slide. And that was by Swedish designer Martel Tubek. As we begin to emerge from the pandemic, do you still think this is a trend that's set to last? Yes, home nesting is definitely here to stay and expected to grow rapidly. So there's a big opportunity for products that stimulate stress-relieving fun and at-home entertainment, but that also serve functional purposes. And actually, IKEA just launched their new report of life at home, which really also taps into these areas and really produced a lot of stats 
showing that people do want to keep entertaining and want to receive people in their home space. So there's definitely lots of opportunity here to create new products that cater to that. Next, I speak to Sam Field, Director of Creative Technology at Yahoo Creative Studios. Sam works with brands to bridge the gap between digital and physical experiences, and most recently created an immersive extended reality event for Selfridges called Electric City. I asked him about his thoughts on the future of virtual world building. If you look at what's happening in the market now, you're now starting to see more desirable wearables in the AR space and the mixed reality space and smart glasses and AR glasses. You're seeing more sophisticated XR, more scalable XR. And now we're kind of entering this new world of Web 3.0 where the convergence of XR, gaming, e-commerce, blockchain, NFTs, all of that world is now coming together into one space and, and brands are trying to find their, what's our role in this new world? How do we reach this new audience? You know, really engaged, affluent audience that want more immersion or more gamification. This kind of engagement seems to be very popular with retail and e-commerce brands. And I know that you've just worked, worked with Selfridges, for example. Is, the, is there a reason, do you think, why this is working so well for retail in particular? Yeah, I think, I think retail is interesting. I think the, the boom in retail looking into most experiences has probably been led by fashion first and retail to follow. And I think it's, it's being mirrored in physical and digital spaces. There's a real shift in bricks and mortar to become more experiential, less transactional, and actually the same pattern is being followed digitally as well. There was a recent research, it may have even been Stylus, but did I see it was in Stylus or someone? Probably. I saw that, that, that consumers were struggling to tell the difference between e-commerce websites. They didn't know, they didn't care. They're all the same, these kind of, you know, boxed e-commerce sites, they're functional. So to, to not only, you know, if, if, if it's about getting people back in, into stores post-pandemic physically, then it needs to have an experiential approach and equally digitally to stand out and be different and, and, and tap into this newfound demand for hybrid living and immersive experiences and game experiences that digital does as well. Yeah, with that, with that project, so Electric City, there was an opportunity to work with brands to bring to life an immersive shopping experience alongside the physical collection being in Selfridges and to link the two, which is what we did. So we developed what we call the immersive video player, which is a way of exploring a 3D game engine rendered scene, which was built in Unreal Engine, we, which was called Electric City. It's, it was a kind of a, a, a virtual city based on broadly like a futuristic take on the fashion capitals around the world with a kind of cyberpunk aesthetic. And you could able to traverse this world by just point and click in your browser. We had our, our Yahoo Edgecast platform delivering all of the video content into it seamlessly so that you could fly through the city to different areas, watch a catwalk show on a stage with the collection which we had on MetaHumans, which is the Unreal Engine out-of-the-box avatar system. We also allow people to to shop the physical collection, also to shop a digital-only collection. It's the first time Selfridges have ever sold digital wearables. And that was underpinned by blockchain which meant they were scarce, so limited to 2,000 pieces. And then once you bought the item, you then set up a wallet, you could then unlock a snap lens to wear it as a body tracking wearable, unlock an avatar creator where you take a picture of yourself, create an avatar, dress it in one of the four looks, view it in AR, and then take that into over 300 virtual platforms, predominantly kind of VR platforms, and that's powered by a 
an avatar system called Ready Player Me, who's kind of an open source avatar system. We did some custom work with them to allow us to view it in AR. And it was really a test to see, because you, know, you see a lot of kind of move into kind of NFTs being about ownership. We wanted ownership with the utility as well. So that, you know, great, I own it. I can mint it to my Ethereum wallet using Polygon um, and then allow you to then take that into different platforms and show up as digital self in Beat Saber or VR Chat or Somnium Space or you know, all of these other platforms. And since then we're doing, working with another big UK department store, we're, we're creating an immersive experience of their TBC, a Christmas ad, which is going to be available uh, on their platform. It uses a very similar storytelling mechanic. It's going to use the immersive video player, for example. That will be a much broader audience. It's going to be an interesting test as well to see how people react. So what's next? What's coming up in the next 12 months? You, What do you think are the challenges and opportunities when it comes to these sorts of digital and physical crossovers? I think what we saw last year with kind of live events and immersive storytelling, you know, there's only a few brands that can afford to do your Travis Scott Fortnite performances and that, that type of thing or that scale. But I do think you will start to see that being a, a bit more democratized. You know, we're certainly getting lots of requests for access. Can we, can we do motion capture shoots? Can we bring talent alive? Can we, can we look at how we can play a role in the metaverse? So I think the big kind of watch out with that is there's a bit of a land grab happening now. Brands want to get involved in decentralized worlds and gaming IP. And it's just making sure you do it in an authentic way. And in a way that engages the community and you're not perceived to be going in there and just trying to, you know, monetize this, this, this world because you get found out really quickly. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that landscape evolves. And what we're doing is to just to research and build products that allow those brands to take back a little bit of control about how they sharp across those worlds. Um, because we can't, you know, brands also can't just continue to spend huge amounts of money on one-off events in wall gardens that you know some of those need to start to interlink with different platforms and i think that's we're talking about the metaverse that's the true definition of the metaverse when they actually are interoperable and what you own what you trade and show up using can be persistent across different metaverses or different environments that's that's exciting i think that's going to be the next big step next year is the utility for these items that you can own as a consumer before we hear about our last trend, just to say that what we've heard today is a small sample of insights drawn from Stylus's Look Ahead 2022, which can be accessed on the Stylus website. Now I talk to Estella Shardlow, Stylus's Senior Editor of Consumer Attitudes, about new trends in wellness, what we're calling Healing's New Horizons. It's really a reaction to the huge challenges of the last 18 months. People are turning towards weightier wellness experiences to process their grief and recalibrate emotional well-being. So we're seeing therapies like screen therapy gain traction and also the rise of anti-self-help movement to counter a kind of toxic positivity. Also, societal notions of mental toughness are being revised too. Could you unpack that a little bit? What are these notions and, and how are they being revised? So really you can see this in the reaction to the candor of sports stars like Emma Raducanu and Simone Biles with such influential and successful figures speaking out about struggles they faced around mental health. I think it quite powerfully removes the stigma, um, especially for younger people uh, for whom they're role models. 
So it's kind of busting the stereotype that to be you know, a successful and uh, healthy person, even that you have, you know, no struggles with with your kind of uh, mental well-being. I think it's just about opening up a more um, enlightened idea of of what it is to be to be well, to to be vulnerable, and to succeed despite those um, those struggles. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. We're at stylist underscore live. And I'm at Christian Ward. And on Instagram, you can find us at We Are Stylus. See you next time. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.